So here's where we left off. I was just excited. I was distracted. And I was about to live a dream that Maria and I made a long time ago. What could possibly go wrong? A lot. A lot went wrong. You're listening to Seasonal Skin, a podcast that follows me, Claire, in my first year of seasonal work. In December, I moved to Park City for the winter season with Maria and Sam. It's the first time that Maria and I will ever live together, something that we've dreamed about for years. But by the end of the month, it isn't as dreamy as we had hoped. In fact, at the end of the month, we stopped talking. But before we get into any of that, I have to introduce you to Maria. So check your levels. My goal is to not make this awkward AF, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's what I did for Spanish every day. We had to record ourselves doing Spanish. I would say, Maria Ashkin. <laughs> Maria Ashkin is an absurd person. She's part 10-year-old boy who is obsessed with dinosaurs, exploring caves, and earth science. You can't step on it because anything that you've eaten a snack out of has come from a colonizer called Cryptobiotic Crust, which is like a combination of algae and plants. And part of Lumptuous Mermaid Underwater Goddess. This is like, I think, me in a nutshell. Sometimes I wish I could, like, prove pick this stuff because this is, like, my life. Just, like, happy and floating, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you can often find Maria splayed out, half naked near some high alpine lake or with a breakfast burrito in her hand. But mostly, you'll find her squatting on the ground, observing something. She is a botanist and an artist. Her dad, Gary, and I have plotted to buy Maria a bumper sticker that says, warning, frequent stops for wildflowers. Or she'll be squatting because she's peeing. The girl will pee anywhere. She will always be playing with a piece of sand. Then, oh no, I lost my sand. But then, um, oh shit, that was such a good piece. But then, <laughs> what else happened? Okay, yeah. Maria brings laughter and safety anywhere she goes. She has an incredible ability to find the person in the room that a lot of people don't see. Aside from my sister, for most of my life, Maria was the only person that seemed to know me better than I knew myself. And honesty is our strong suit with each other. Yeah. Well, like, because here's what I anticipate happening. Obviously, I've thought about this deeply. Is that oh, I texted... God, you think about so many things. How do you think this hard? Because <laughs> I'm an overthinker. This is what happens. This is where my brain goes. I'm just afraid that that will come off as being weird. You are weird. (laughs) (laughs) Maria is my person. She keeps me honest. She keeps me accountable. She pushes me to be the best version of myself. And literally every single time I hang out with her, she makes me laugh so hard I pee my pants. This is a podcast about creating skins. A note on skins. 
skin is not like clothing or Harry Potter's invisibility cloak or a wig that you can use to change your identity on a night out. Skin is still organic. It forms without the intention of its creator. It forms as a product of its environment. Dry climate, scales. Cold climate, fur. It is not inauthentic. It is also no place to hide. Yet, it has the ability to cover up the most precious organs of insecurity or fear or weirdness that rest inside of our precarious little souls. What is nice about seasonal work is that you lose and gain skin quickly because your environment is always changing. And the friendships you form in seasonal life set roots in the skin that you have when you meet that person. Maria's roots started taking place when we were young and grew all around me through time up to this point. We met when we were 12 years old at summer camp. So, so I like pulled in to Mountain Queen and then the whole cabin just ran out and like swarmed the car. And I told my dad to back up, leave, and like get us out of there basically. It was my third summer there. Maria arrived with burgundy hair and she was wearing this necklace with plastic neon colored fish beads. I wore Baby Gap. That was my big pride. <laughs> that was the last time I could fit into Baby Gap, so I figured I was like, may as well just ride this wave <laughs> until it's over. <laughs> um, yeah, I like thought it was edgy, thought it was cool, thought it was bad. But really, I was like nice, kind of scared of people. <laughs> and, like just wanted to like laugh all the time. I think. That first summer, our friendship was born from laughing. Like most middle schoolers, I was incredibly uncomfortable in my body. And like most times in my life, I took everything way too seriously. And I came off as pretty timid. Maria was fascinating to me. She was the first person who demonstrated that life could be full of laughter. And that I actually didn't have to take myself so seriously. You know, so even I feel like we could get into like pretty cool talks about stuff and then also be like dumb middle school girls at the same time you know um and also you just like eat in raspberry bushes with me and like you know like have paint fights and like she always acknowledged how i felt and then she reminded me how to be a kid again and slowly i tapped in to my mischievous side we got in trouble all the time Remember when Trish bought us candy bars in the river? Yes, and you broke that tree. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, that tree. But I feel like I just got in trouble so much at camp because I was either, like, creek sloshing illegally or, like, illegally right. Yeah, you pick naughty friends. If our friendship was born from laughter, it grew from the solidarity of being in middle school with period stains, fragrant lip gloss, confusing sexual desires, and outfit malfunctions. I remember that one day you just like hella bled in your white pants, your white shorts, and then you sent them to the laundry and like they washed them, but there was a fat stain. And you're like, they're my favorite shorts. I'm gonna wear them anyways. And I was like, shit, that girl's really cool. <laughs> like, that's how you had like street cred with me somehow <laughs> because like you just didn't care. And I was like, that's like the one thing we're supposed to be caring about is like bleeding through our pants at any given moment, <laughs> you know? <laughs> But unlike passing periods or bathroom stall gossip sessions, Maria and I shared something a little bit different. The camp that we went to was a backpacking camp, so we learned to poop in the woods together. 
to put all of our food into a bag and throw it high into a tree so that bears wouldn't eat it. We learned to read topographic maps. And we almost died all the time. What is one near-death experience you had at camp? (laughs) 17. (laughs) And these kinds of situations just form different friendships. Because in these situations, you are totally stripped down of any facade or mask or persona that you've developed by 12. And it exposes who you are when shit hits the fan. For me, I cried. And Maria, she laughed. It was a nice balance. And then I was like, you cried so much. I cried. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to laugh. It's just like, it's like very few stories are like not involving like Claire crying all over. I cried. I cried. Claire was crying so hard. And And then I just started like softly sobbing to myself. You cried all the time, obviously. These were the moments that defined our friendship. Like the one time that a rock almost hit Maria straight in the head as we were climbing up a chute at 13,000 feet. I didn't know you were crying that hard. I'm sorry. Was it really scary? How close was it to my head? I was holding on to a boulder. I was like hugging a boulder just waiting for like our turn to go. I also started cramping and I remember like trying to have to pull myself up with this 80 pound bag on and I just see this rock go down. And then I just remember being like, I'm gonna die today. Like, this is it. Like I almost just saw my best friend die. I'm probably gonna die because I can't hold on to them. By the time we got up, I was like. How was I, like, how was I doing? You had no idea what was going on. You were like laughing. You were like, oh, what? A rock? Oh, and then you were like, what's going on? (laughs) We learned to pick each other up from near-death experiences, which then made picking each other up in any other type of context a much easier task. Yeah, it was like middle school. It was like the fucking worst. Anything I thought was the right thing to do was the wrong thing to do. (laughs) And then... I can tell you also were like struggling with the world. I don't know. It was a bad time, but also the best time because that's what me and you like bonded on, you know, was like over hardly being able to function in the world, (laughs) you know? By the time we entered high school, Maria knew me in the way that a lot of people knew me by my skin, so to speak. But she also knew the deepest, darkest, realist caverns of my core and I of hers. Throughout high school, our friendship crossed out of the boundaries of camp and found its place among the real world. Hello. Hello. Hi. What's up? We called. All the time. We covered everything from second base to eating disorders, sneaking out and biology tests, sexual assault and pimples, MySpace profiles, and awkward situations. It became harder for us to wait a full year until we saw each other. So in the winters, we would visit and we'd snowboard. And this is where the idea to live in a ski town first came into fruition. But as you got older... That's Maria's dad, Gary. You seemed to, instead of uh, grow apart, instead, it seemed like the exact opposite happened. There was more contact that was taking place... Um, and I think you both really started to realize that you were going to live lives that shared a lot of common elements. And so you started hanging around. 
somehow, like some way, our life paths like exactly lined up, which I would say like was influenced by our friendship a lot, but was like also influenced by how cool each person became on their own and like what inspired them that each person like still connected to rather than grew apart from. Um, so I think that's what's different. We're like full, like full forced friends, you know, instead of just kind of one element, we're like fully part of each other's lives. Finally, when the opportunity came for us to choose where we wanted to go for college, we didn't choose the same place. I made my way to the Midwest for a deep four-year freeze, and she went to California for Surfer Bros and Tacos. Separately, but together, we explored biology. Hi, Pierre. Hi, what's up? What's up with you? We continued to talk on the phone all the time. But we never visited each other, at least not in our college towns. I never saw Maria's dorm room or the places that she liked to eat on the weekends or her favorite surf spot. She never met my college friends, never went to a Badger football game or ate cheese curds. Instead, we planned trips. We slipped back into the routines with each other that were familiar. Backpack, set up a tarp, cook a delicious dinner on a tiny stove, hang up our bear bag, skinny dip. Our friendship was not limited to these spaces. It was just that with such a small amount of time each year, this was how we could connect the best and the fastest. In the middle of nowhere and usually having a lot of type 2 fun. You know, the fun that isn't that fun until you're looking back and laughing on it. We flourished in this environment. A couple of years ago, Maria and I took a three-week trip to the southern island of New Zealand. During this trip, we went about our normal routine with each other. Hike, eat a burrito, skinny dip, split a bottle of wine. But because we were in a popular tourist destination, we were a little more exposed to the real world with real people. And we were stuck in a tiny car together for three weeks. This was our first test outside of the woods for a long period of time. And we killed it. Somehow, at 12 years old, we knew the other person was important to hold on to. Because we fought. We fought all the time. We fought about our exact same taste in men. We fought about friends. We fought about plans. We fought about egos. We fought about food. But it was always in the best interest of each other and our friendship. We worked hard to figure out how to communicate to each other. When to give in. When to stand up. When to say nothing. And when to say something painful. In New Zealand, we overcame it all. We met this hot, I don't know, Czech man. Yeah. We have to have a talk in the car, um, which we always did when we arrived anywhere. Was we like bought a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc, parked outside of our hostel, drank the entire bottle of Sauvignon Blanc, and then went inside with all of our groceries and like to get ready for bed. So we like, w- like walked in anywhere, like <laughs> already two drinks in, which was like kind of absurd, but also like felt really necessary to like get out all the things we learned that day and then like go be around other human beings. And so we talk in the car and Claire's like, I like Legless. And I was like, I like Legless. And then Claire was like, give me this one. And gave me this like look in the eye that was like, I'm going to fucking kill you if I don't get laid tonight. And I was like, girl, it's you. It's you. Green light, go. <laughs> so when we finally made the decision to live together, it seemed like a no brainer. 
We've overcome every friendship challenge. And I had an idea of what it would be like. Ski all day, dance all night, laugh all the time, and still make enough money while spending all of our time doing all of the above. But in reality, that's not possible. And we were all extremely broke. We worked all the time. Here's Sam. It was crazy. It was crazy. We were... It was was insane. I had never worked that much in my whole life. I mean, I moved to Park City with less than $500 in my bank account. Like, no savings, nothing. I wanted to join my friend's Instagram pictures of bottomless pow days, big groups of friends laughing together, nights out at the local dive bar. But it didn't look like that. Sure, some of it was work, and sure, some of it was trying to figure out our dynamic with each other. Sam, as someone that we didn't know at the time, and Marie and I, as two best friends trying to make our perfect, wonderful, deep friendship sustain that power through the banalities of day-to-day life in a 70-hour work week. You did a lot of adulting today. I really did. I just complained to everybody about how tired I was. I was like, bosses, I'm tired. Friends, I'm tired. Stranger on the seat, I'm tired. (laughs) Tired. I think my expectation was that we were going to be the bestest of friends, you know? Which, like, we weren't, and we also were, right? Yeah. You know, like, it's kind of weird to think about it that. Is. Like, we were and we weren't. Right. Like, I think, yeah, I don't know. It's, like, it's an interesting thing to look back on because it's complicated. As the week slipped by, a feeling inside of me went unnoticed. Why am I not having any fun? I'm skiing every day. I live in a beautiful place. Things are fine. Things are fine. But it was as if I was leaking. No amount of skiing, no amount of new friends, no amount of mac and cheese or boxed wine could make me feel full. If Maria was a seasonal friend, I could excuse this little hole in my heart for work or weird house dynamics. I could probably just pretend like I was tired. But she knew, and I knew that she knew And I could see it in her too. And I knew that she knew that I knew. For the month of December, Maria and I tiptoed around what we saw in each other. On New Year's Eve, we drank tequila and champagne. We danced with Sam and probably to cover up the way that we were both feeling, we drank more tequila and champagne. And at midnight, it felt like it all came to head. It's the age old story. You like boy, you and boy maybe flirt? Boy meets a friend. You remember what flirting actually looks like. Boy likes friend. You understand. You like friend. But it hurts. And you begin to compare everything to the friend whose differences always complemented yours. You were a dynamic duo after all. But jealousy sometimes gets the best of us. And sometimes, despite all strong communication tactics built up after 10 years of having the exact same taste in men, something is missed along the way. And on New Year's Eve, friend and boy kiss. What I was beginning to feel, that little hole, may have started earlier, from the moment that I said I love you out loud to DC, my mistress of seasonality. When the ball dropped was the first time that I really felt it, this hole. And for a while, I blamed it on Maria kissing this boy. Because it was a new season, a new place, a new job, a new skin. This feeling could not come from something old. 
But what I didn't know, what I wouldn't know, is that the feeling would stay with me through the shedding and reforming of many skins. That this hole had already reached my core. But technically speaking, that all begins in the month of January. Music by Jackie Hill Perry, Poddington Bear, Ezra Carey, and Jules Blueprints. And a humongous thank you to Maria Ashkin, who let me record all of our conversations for the last 12 months, and to Sam Brown, Gary, and everyone else who helped make this episode possible. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Wow, that's glorious. Remember, you told me I can't tell you when I'm recording because then you get weird. Oh, okay. But then the caveat to that is if I start talking about my vagina, you have to, like, stop recording. You you have to trust me that I will never put anything <laughs> about your vagina on my fucking podcast. Except for maybe that sentence that I just said. <laughs> <laughs> In which will most likely 100% be on the podcast. <laughs>